Hi everyone, Earl at TheLogbook.com here, just letting you know that the logbook now has a pachinko cartridge. <laughs> Wait, this is Select Game, of course we have a pachinko cartridge. I meant a Patreon. We have a Patreon. Sorry. If you're a fan of the site itself, its ever-expanding lineup of podcasts, the books based on the site's content, or all those kickin' Kasatochi chiptunes, you can help us keep the lights on and keep cranking out the stuff you like by heading over to Patreon and supporting us, either a little or a lot. There are some fun goodies in it for you, no matter what you choose. Thanks for listening, and feel free to pitch in at patreon.com slash thelongbook. Ah, the late 70s and early 80s. The boom years of the video game industry. And my game system was the Magnavox Odyssey 2. Sleek, stylish, futuristic, and totally underappreciated. Let's change that. I'll dig through the Odyssey 2 library, introduce you to each game, offer a few of my own expanded memories of playing them back in the day, and we'll see if those games hold up today. I'm Earl Green, and this is Select Game. <laughs> Welcome back to Select Game, expanded memories of the Odyssey 2 podcast from thelogbook.com. I'm Earl, it's October... It's finally not 110 degrees outside. How you doing? Hopefully everyone is similarly enjoying the change of seasons. I certainly am. I will admit that I am recording this edition of Select Game while I'm really tired. So if I um and pause a lot more than usual, please forgive me. It's been a long week and I'm trying to squeeze this in late at night. But let's get right down to all things Odyssey 2 and Video Pack, because there is most definitely some news. In the news. Our news this month is, well, very much like the news from last month. Not much new. Well, there is, no, correction, there, there is some new stuff to talk about. PackratVG.com hopes to have the 50-foot-tall stalk of celery out by this year's end. That's a new homebrew game by Chris Reed. And, (laughs) fair warning, there is some goofy but hopefully enjoyable cover artwork on that one by yours truly. Another Odyssey 2 homebrew game called Incoming. Think sort of along the lines of an Odyssey 2 version of the old Bally Professional Arcade cartridge artillery duel still in the debugging stages no no specific date to nail down on that one now Packrat also teases that they will have a mystery odyssey 2 item they don't say if it's a cartridge or what it might be it'll be debuting possibly at next year's the 2017 midwest gaming classic there's also some homebrew news from across the pond. Video Pack is Alive is releasing a new Rafael Cardoso homebrew called Forbidden Lands. Uh, this game has some fantastic cover artwork. I was really impressed with what I saw. The game itself, there's a trailer for it on YouTube that I will post a link to, or I'll, I'll actually probably embed it in the show page. 
It looks like it combines elements of Adventure for the 2600 and the arcade game Venture, the old Exidy arcade game, featuring Winky, trademark. That game will be coming out from Video Packs Alive. Rafael Cardoso also has another homebrew due out on Halloween, October 31st. The game is called Amityville. Both of his new homebrews are being released as a quantity of 50 PAL carts for the video pack and 50 NTSC carts for the Odyssey 2. I'm so glad that they actually thought to do that. There is also another cartridge that is due out by the end of the year, supposedly called Countdown. From what I understand, this is more of a vintage tech demo than a game. It does what it says on the box. It is a countdown clock. Completely unrelated to Odyssey 2, but I thought I would mention it. I have a new book out! How many times have I said that this year? A bunch. The new book is called Warp 1. Been waiting for this one for a while. Warp 1 is the first book in a series of reference books covering the Star Trek franchise in much the same way that Warp 1 and Warp 2 covered Doctor Who. Warp 1 covers Star Trek the original series, the animated series, and the Kirk-era movies, as well as the rebooted Kirk-era movies that we've gotten in the past few years. It also includes extensive coverage of Gene Roddenberry's 1970s pilots and movie projects, as well as his 1960s series The Lieutenant, which actually aired several years before Star Trek, but brought him into contact with such actors as Leonard Nimoy, Gary Lockwood, Michelle Nichols, Walter Koenig, Majel Barrett, just few people he would wind up working with in the future, and it covers how all of these other works affected the Star Trek series and movies that came after them. The book is $14 in print or $3.99 for Kindle. You can find it on Amazon.com or at thelogbook.com. If you happen to like Star Trek, it certainly would help to buy a copy of this book. It helps to keep the lights on here. It supports this podcast and many other projects going at thelogbook.com. And heck, if there's enough left over, we might just order a pizza. That's it for the news for October. So let's get down to business. We will be covering two games this month. And we are going to jump almost to the end of the Odyssey 2 domestic release timeline in the U.S., and we are going to be jumping away from, for the first time, games officially released by Magnavox or Philips. The two games we're covering this month are Atlantis and Demon Attack, both of them released in 1983 by Imagic. Now, Imagic was an offshoot, a group of disgruntled former Atari programmers who set out to follow Activision's example, setting up a third-party software house. However, Imagic had wider plans, a bigger picture in mind than Activision did initially, because Imagic instantly set out to produce not only Atari 2600 games, but games for the Intellivision and other platforms as well. I can tell you that I have played Imagic games on everything from the Odyssey 2, to the Atari 8-bits, to the ColecoVision, to Super Demon Attack on the TI-99 4A. You know, when Demon Attack just isn't challenging you anymore, Super Demon Attack. Now with Super Demons and Colorful Marshmallows. Okay, 
went off the rails there. Atlantis was originally created for the Atari 2600 by Dennis Koble. It was ported to the Odyssey 2 by Jeff Ronnie, who is a former programmer for APH, which was a game developer that contracted to create games for the Intellivision. At this point, of course, Jeff Ronnie was working at Imagic. Now, while he was at APH, Jeff wrote an original Intellivision game, a strategy game, called Takeover or Empire. You, you see it referenced by both of these names, which Mattel Electronics declined to release because it felt the graphics on the game were too low-res. It used a colorful but kind of low-res blocky colored square mode that is most commonly thought of as the graphics mode for the first-party Intellivision game Snafu. Mattel Electronics apparently did not feel comfortable releasing another game at that low resolution because they were hammering the airwaves with these George Plimpton commercials saying, look how lifelike our sports games are. You know, meanwhile, if you like strategy games, there's TakeOver or Empire, which has big bloopy blocks. That, uh, that didn't fit in with their marketing plan or their image. So let's play Atlantis on the Odyssey 2. The first thing you notice firing up Atlantis on the Odyssey 2 is that you do not get the customary select game screen. So this is one of the first select gameless editions of select game. Instead, it says a magic at the bottom, and it has a display that kind of sort of approximates, maybe not as as fine a graphical grain, the display for Atlantis on the Atari 2600. Now, the reason I keep referencing the 2600 version of Atlantis in relation to this edition of the game on the Odyssey 2 is that it seems like it was probably felt that that was the version that the game was most likely, that the machine was most likely to be able to somewhat replicate the experience of. Also, unlike almost all other Odyssey 2 games, this is a game that you trigger by hitting the action button. You can sit and press keys on the keyboard all night. Nothing will happen. So let's hit that button and start blowing stuff up. Very much like the Atari 2600 version. I suck at this game. Very much like the Atari 2600 version. You use the joystick to determine which of the cannons you will be using to fire. However, unlike the Atari 2600 version, the Odyssey 2 version only has two cannons. So you are either going to be firing with the left or right cannon. There is no middle cannon. Very much like the 2600 version, if ships, if the alien ships get to the bottom of the screen, they will start decimating your undersea city. And I, in fact, I've already lost 
I oh, I had lost the dome, but since I'm doing reasonably well, which that's about to change, <laughs> I, uh, my dome had come back. Oh! 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 They're coming to get me. They're getting fast. My current score is 23,250. That's really an... Scores into the 10,000s are really unusual on this platform. Oh, and it gives me an expert rating at the end. Wow. Thanks, Atlantis. The graphics are actually kind of above par for an Odyssey 2 title. They were trying very hard to replicate the, the display on the 2600. And that includes the... Uh, you know, the moving light blue lines over the dark blue ocean, sort of simulating the movement of the water. And that's kind of a nice... You know, it's it's a pretty... They're pretty fine lines, which is unusual for the Odyssey 2. You're used to the Odyssey 2 having kind of big bloopy things going on. The alien ships are actually pretty colorful and not standard characters. Now, I'm of course, knowing how the... The 8048 CPU on the Odyssey 2 and the Intel graphics chip that generated everything, knowing how those work, these every ship and everything on the screen is almost certainly made from bits and pieces of that existing character table because the Odyssey 2 makes very few allowances for stepping outside of that. So there was Atlantis in action on the Odyssey 2. Definitely one of the rarer games. The, the Magic games for the Odyssey 2 are somewhat hard to find. They were both released in 1983 at a time when it was generally felt that the first generation games, the Odyssey 2, the Atari 2600, the Intellivision, and certainly things like the Emerson Arcadia 2001 and Bally Professional Arcade, which by that point was no longer supported by Bally, but was known as the Astrocade. Most of these games were thought of as has-beens in light of the Atari 5200, the ColecoVision, and the growing home computer market. So it's somewhat surprising, really, that Imagic chose to support the Odyssey 2. But for one thing, I love that they felt like there was an audience there. I was certainly more than happy to pick these up, although I picked them up many, many years later. And you can't fault them for trying to see if maybe there is still, you know, still some action in that particular market that is not already being tapped by the first party releases. This brings us to our next Imagic game we will be covering this month, Demon Attack. Originally programmed on the Atari 2600 by Rob Fullop, the Odyssey 2 port was by Imagic programmer Dave Johnson. Now, Dave Johnson did quite a bit of work at Imagic, including the... Ironically, he ported Atlantis to the Atari 8-bit computers. He also programmed one of my favorite obscure Imagic games for the Atari 2600, Quick Step, as well as a 1984 Commodore 64... I don't know if you would call this a game or a car engine simulator. It was only on the Commodore 64, and it was called Injured Engine. Sometime in 84 or 85, Dave Johnson was laid off from Imagic as the bottom of the video game market dropped out, and Imagic, like many other software-only houses, uh, cut back savagely or closed their doors altogether. 
He and a fellow Imagic programmer named Michael Green formed a short-lived business partnership after, you know, after being dumped by Imagic, but it didn't last terribly long. There was a great interview with Michael Green over at 2600 Game by Game that I will post a link to on the show page that sort of goes into what happened and why that partnership was not a lasting one. Don't weep too many tears for Dave Johnson. He is now a political activist and writer focusing on such issues as jobs and labor, manufacturing, and how all of this impacts the environment. You can see his writing at Huffington Post, among many other sites. So let's play Demon Attack on the Odyssey 2. Demon Attack for the Odyssey 2 is interesting in that it does boot up to a select game screen. So obviously there was a... There were differing schools of thought among Imagix programmers as to how closely they had to hew to standard Odyssey 2 game style. Now it does not fire up with the traditional select game sound. It's a silent boot up. Just kind of interesting. It, you wonder if they. I don't think they reverse engineered it. I think they just decided, hey, we're going to do the same thing that Magnavox and Philips do on their cartridges, except it's not going to make any noise. So, Demon Tech. Very much like the Atari 2600 version, or a cannon, sort of a little pyramid thing at the bottom of the screen, the the demon bird characters that you know so well on the 2600 version actually replicated really well on the Odyssey 2, and I just got splashed. Again, some very fine line graphics, multicolored graphics at the bottom of the screen, showing that the Odyssey 2 was capable of doing some of this uh, some of this really colorful fine grain graphic detail jazz that Imagic and Activision were so well known for turning out on the 2600. And again, the the frame of reference for this really is the 2600 version. That was probably the the version of the game that the programmers translating it, you know, porting it to the Odyssey 2, they were probably going from that code because, oh, just blow me up again and again. That sounded a lot kinkier than I intended it to. Anyway, this is actually a, a really good port of Demon Attack. I'm on one of the stages where the demons split up into two, and... Oh, and they just kamikaze me. So they've got... Oh, I died. My top score was 665. One door down from the beast. Let's play that again. Oh. Reset. Obviously, no option to continue where you left off, but that's perfectly okay. The 2600 version did not have that either. You have a row of dots in the lower left-hand corner showing how many lives you have left. 
graphically, they saved the sophisticated stuff for the gameplay area. You really don't need it to be that fancy in the scoreboard area, which is okay. The Odyssey 2 has has characters for that. It has alphanumeric characters. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. One of the... I interviewed one of the programmers, not of this game, but one of the other Odyssey 2 programmers, who made the comment that for its limited palette of characters that it gave you to work with, the graphics chip on the Odyssey 2 handled a lot of stuff for you that you would have had to code from scratch on something like the 2600 or the Intellivision. And so there were actually... There were programmers who perceived an advantage to how the Odyssey 2 handled graphics. That being said, the fixed character set that we reference so often on this podcast... Oh, I did even worse there. Maybe I should (laughs) give up while I'm ahead. The fixed character set that sometimes seems like it's a bit of a curse for the Odyssey 2 uh, is not very much in evidence in the Magic games. Uh, Demon Attack especially, the demons really look a lot like they do on the 2600. There is not a huge amount of difference graphically between the Odyssey 2 version of Demon Attack and the original 2600 version. I should also note that the both of the magic cartridges for the Odyssey 2 do away with the standard handle style that is so commonly associated with Odyssey 2 and video pack games. Obviously they are shaped like Odyssey 2 cartridges at the bottom or else they wouldn't slide into the cartridge slot, so it's not like they use the 2600 casing or anything. But the top of it is very much the same mold as the Atari 2600 handle. It's a different kind of handle. It still gives you a handle to pull the cartridge out of the machine, and that's just kind of interesting. The boxes were very much a a variation on the standard Imagic packaging instead of the shiny, reflective silver foil print that they used on the 2600. The Odyssey 2 boxes were a black background, which is something that Imagic used only for a very few games on the Odyssey 2 and a few other lesser-known systems. I should also point out in the interest of full disclosure that I don't actually have the boxes for these two cartridges. I have two loose cartridges. I I have an Atlantis and a Demon Attack both in cartridge form, but they are loose. I have never been able to track down boxed copies of these games. You don't have to worry about tracking down a copy boxed or otherwise, because I am sure that both Atlantis and Demon Attack are among the dozens and dozens of games included on the Odyssey 2 multicart that you can get from PackRatVG.com. So there you have it. Imagic's two whole releases for the Odyssey 2... Obviously, they were testing the water, seeing if there was a market for fantastic magic games. The only problem, really, was that you could only make those games so fantastic on the Odyssey 2. I I have said it before, and I said it again. This podcast is about my love for the Odyssey 2, my love for the platform and its software library. But I feel like I would be remiss if I did not honestly acknowledge the machine's limitations. 
And sometimes that happens because you're celebrating a software title that exceeds those limitations. But as often as not, it's about acknowledging that the software probably couldn't have been much better than it was on the Odyssey 2 platform. Thanks for tuning in to listen yet again for our brief little burst of magic. Next month, November, it's the season finale of Select Game. And we're going to gobble some dots, and I'm pretty sure you know what that means. It's going to be Thanksgiving, so by all means, gobble, gobble, gobble. That's all the time we have for the Select Game podcast. You can hear Select Game on iTunes, Stitcher, and ThrowbackNetwork.net. And you can also subscribe through the RSS feed. You'll find the podcast itself and occasional goodies associated with it at www.thelogbook.com slash selectgame. If you really dig Select Game, also check out the 365-day-a-year Escape Pod Geek History Podcast at thelogbook.com. And donations toward the site's upkeep are always gladly accepted at PayPal, or via my Amazon wish lists. You can also support the podcast by buying select game t-shirts and other goodies at redbubble.com. Look under user the logbook. Phosphor.fossil is a comprehensive timeline of the golden era of video games, including the Odyssey 2. can be downloaded at thelogbook.com, which is also where you can find the books I've written about Doctor Who, Warp 1 and Warp 2. Feel free to drop me a line at the Facebook page for thelogbook.com, via Twitter at logbookguy, or email me at earl at thelogbook.com. Select Game Expanded Memories of the Odyssey 2 is a production of thelogbook.com and was written and produced by Earl Green. Music performed by Kasatochi, available for free download at thelogbook.com.